She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season three. Episode 15. Piper Maru. In this episode, a French ship docks in San Diego after its entire crew, except one, are exposed to some kind of mysterious radiation. Mulder realizes the ship was searching in the same area where he believes the Talapus raised a UFO, and he wants answers. Meanwhile, Scully is told her sister's case is being set to inactive due to lack of leads. As Mulder and Scully try to figure out what's killing the French sailors, they once again uncover a larger conspiracy at work. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, conspiracy. That seems off-brand a little bit, conspiracy. X-Files. <laughs> Yeah, totally weird. Totally weird. I guess they're trying something new. Gotta shake it up. Third season, you know, get those new viewers in. This episode is a MythArc episode and originally aired on Friday, February 9th, 1996. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Frank Spotnitz and Chris Carter and directed by Rob Bowman. So we are on the Pacific Ocean, Latitude 42 North, longitude 171 East. That is like in the middle of nowhere, basically, even though we can kind of see some land in its opening scene. So men aboard the ship are putting together a robotic diving suit around a man whose name is Gautier. And one of them say that they're about ready for the dome. And then they check the oxygen levels and the oxygen levels are good. And they're like, are you ready for the dome, Gautier? And he's all, we. Oui because they are all French, and so they speak French because they are French. Mm-hmm. So, we, which means yes, by the way, right. I don't know. And there actually is translation because they just talk French the whole time. So all yes. the stuff that we're telling you right now that they've been doing is because it's in subtitles, although Tori does know French. And could I know some us. French. I probably don't know enough to completely translate this, but I do appreciate the subtitles. <laughs> Makes it easier. They put, so they put the big dome over the face of the suit and... Like, actually, they don't use like drill. They do it with the little hand things, but they bolt it down. And the crane lifts the suit. And then two divers in regular diving gear jump in the water. And then the suit is lowered into the water by the crane. And once he's in, they detach the cable from the crane. And he just goes down. It's got like little like like motors on the suit, too. So he can like move around and I imagine like come back up on his own and that kind of stuff. So anyway, in the control room on the ship, they monitor the diving suit's temperatures and depth at 270 meters. They say the water is two degrees, and that was obviously Celsius because they're French. So the man in the suit says he should be near the bottom. And then one of the men watching the monitors notices they're picking up a lot of radiation. And Gautier says maybe it's a thing below him. And then he shines his light on something and asks if the others can see it. They tell him they can, but they was like, what is it? And we can see that it's like the fuselage of like a fighter plane. Mm-hmm. And there's a number on the side, J T T O dash one 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 four seven zero. And Gautier says that he thinks it's one of the squadron. And the men in the control are excited to hear that because apparently they're looking for some ship from some squadron. And so they found it. Yay. Anyway, Yay. Gautier moves his flashlight to reveal a drawing of a woman with the words drop dead red on the side. So suddenly there's an odd noise. And Gautier asks if the men in the control room can hear it. And they do, and they ask what it is. And it sounds like, one, it doesn't sound like it's underwater. It sounds like someone beating onto a metal like plate or something. 
And it sounds like you're just like in a room next to someone beating on them on a plate. It doesn't sound like it would be underwater because the sound would be muffled underwater. But anyway, so he doesn't know what it is. And then suddenly the image feeds from his camera starts to cut out and the sound turns to static. They try different frequencies to call his name, but they can't get him back. Gautier, meanwhile, still hears the banging and he's looking at the plane's cockpit. And then suddenly, like from inside the cockpit, someone wipes away like condensation inside. And there's a dude inside the cockpit and there's like water inside, but there's enough room for him to breathe. And he pounds on the cockpit and Gautier stares and he's kind of scared and confused because like this plane is like a World War II plane will come to learn and so like if the dude's been down there that long um he should not be alive right anyway the man looks not that great and then we also see that he's got like some black fluid in his eyes like his eyes are lava lamps or something just like all these little like black things just like in his eyes like over his eyeballs so back on the surface it's nighttime and the robotic suit finally surfaces they've been you know those guys were probably going nuts because they've been trying to get a hold of their buddy Gautier, mm-hmm. and they haven't been able to get a hold of him but then the mm-hmm. suit surfaces and then the men on the ship are like, there it is. And so they lower the winch and they get it back on board. And they undo the dome to get Gautier out. And they're like, are you okay? And he seems like exceptionally calm and like just, yes, I think so. And they ask what happened down there. And he's like, I don't know. I became disoriented. And they're like, are you sure you're okay? And he's like, I am. I would just have to get out of this suit, please. That's my French, by the way, in case you don't know. <laughs> anyway, and so then the men work on get, taking him out of the suit. But then one of them does kind of like notice there's like this, like, film or something on the suit like a residue is kind of like looks like it's kind of oily or greasy or something but anyway then we focus on Gautier and we see that his eyes are like the lava lamps and he's got the black fluid in them and then it's theme song theme song the character of Gautier is named after special effects coordinator David Gautier and he is actually a certified diver so then we're at FBI headquarters in Washington DC and Scully gets off the elevator and she's walking down the hall and she's reading a report and she walks past Skinner's office and he opens the door and he's like, can I see you for a moment? And so <laughs> she walks into the reception area and Skinner asks his receptionist, Kimberly, to excuse him for a minute, which I don't know why he doesn't just take Scully into his office and have this conversation instead of making the receptionist leave. I don't know. I thought that was kind of weird. I know why. I know why. I... Why? And that's a different That's a different set and they don't want to have to change scenes. Uh... So. That's why. Okay. Anyway, Skinner tells Scully that a memo came across his desk last night. And Skinner actually debated whether to call her at home, but he decided to wait because it concerns Scully's sister. It's been five months and there have been no new leads, either via the local police or the bureau. So Skinner's been told that the case is to be made inactive until further notice. And Scully looks upset and she's just like, I see. And Skinner tells her he doesn't think there's anything to be read into it. It's just a case of manpower and workload. Like, they just can't keep working this case if there's nothing to work. But Skinner is going to appeal the decision, and he's going to go back through all the evidence himself to make sure nothing's been missed. And so Scully kind of nods unhappily, and she starts to leave, but she stops at the door. And she just kind of vents some of her frustration. She tells Skinner that it's strange how men can blow up a building while being nowhere near the crime scene but they can piece together enough evidence to convict those men beyond a shadow of a doubt. And yet in the case of her sister, a woman who was gunned down in cold blood in a well-lit apartment building by a killer who left the gun at the scene, they can't put together enough to keep anyone interested. Skinner tells her it doesn't have to do with interest, but Scully says it does just not his or hers. And then she leaves. Yeah. She's getting, I don't She's getting super like, I, I, I want to like, maybe not say emotional. Cause like, Oh, women are emotional, but like, she's like super like, we haven't she hasn't mentioned her sister like in five months that we know of 
or okay, her case or like checked in on it. And I then feel suddenly like she's like, that's oh, a- oh. I feel like that's really unfair though, because obviously we're not seeing everything that the characters do, right? So we have to at some point extrapolate that she probably is checking up on her sister's case on a regular basis. It's just not making it into the episodes because it doesn't fit in those episodes. Yeah, well, then she knows in five months they haven't done anything. And so it just seems weird that it's some. I, yeah. I realize why it's happening here. Right. I mean, it's time, her sister. Her but, sister's dead. She's, you know, like, pissed that they're not finding anything. And she also, remember, she believes they're not finding anything because of who killed her, because it's part of this larger conspiracy. And so she thinks yeah, I know. that's... I, I, oh, I totally get that. That's why he, yeah. that's why he intentionally that, has to yeah. say don't read anything into it. Right, because exactly. Because he, he also knows about that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I get know. it. It's, I totally... I it's, don't just, it's... it's just more like over dramatic. let's let Gillian Anderson emote on camera is what it is. But that's just, yeah, I mean, she has that face catalog that she whips out. I think she does a good job. But that's just me. Take it as you will. Yeah. So then Scully knocks and she enters the X-Files office and Mulder asks if everything's all right, because it does not look like everything's all right, but she says that it is and she's taking off her coat. And Mulder says that something interesting came across his desk last night. The French salvage ship, the Piper Maru, came into port in San Diego yesterday, all the way from the South Pacific. Using satellites, Mulder was able to track it. And Scully reads off the coordinates, and apparently that's where the Talipus pulled up what Mulder believes was a UFO and what Scully believes was a Russian sub. And Scully rubs her head, and Mulder says he doesn't know what it is, but something is down there, and now the French are looking for it, too. Why all the attention paid to the site? What info are they acting on? And Scully's like, well, why don't you just ask them? And Mulder says he would, except that he can't. The entire crew is being treated for radiation burns. And Scully asks from exposure to what? And Mulder says the French government is keeping that classified. So she asks if it could have anything to do with the resumption of nuclear tests. But Mulder says that he checked and it's not actually near any test sites. So that's not the problem. Mm. And so Scully smiles and laughs and Mulder's like, what? And Scully's like, I'm constantly amazed by you. You're working down here in the basement, sifting through files and transmissions that most agents would just throw away. And Mulder jokes, he's like, well, that's probably why I'm in the basement. And Scully's like, you're in the basement because they're afraid of you and because you're relentless. They know they could drop Mulder in the desert, tell him the truth is out there, and he'd ask for a shovel. And Mulder's like, that's what you think of me? Although he does sound a little flattered, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, maybe not a shovel, maybe a backhoe. And he smiles and he says, that's good. Because there's some garbage in San Diego he wants her to help him dig through. And then he hands her a plane ticket. Yeah. She does not, when he hands her the, like, she's all, she's kind of like smiling. Like you said, like she smiles and she's like, I kind of thought it was going to lead to like, like Mulder's like super determined and it's the exact opposite of what's happening with the, like her sister's case. And so it was going to go that way, but it doesn't. But when like he hands her the plane ticket, she does not look happy about being handed a plane ticket. She looks like she smelled a fart. (laughs) <laughs> and then like watches him walk away and just has this not pleasant look on her face. And it just, I was like, where did you think that conversation was going to go? Mulder's like, something <laughs> strange came across my desk. You know, you're going on a road trip with Mulder. So, but yeah, it was just, it was just, it was weird. It was weirdly acted because like, she's like, just like praising him and smiling him and like, almost like, like, you're the kind of man I'm looking for, Mulder. I love you. But then, like, she's like, oh, you gave me a tip. Oh, I mean, maybe she's so. just kind of resigned. Like, oh, of course, another plane ticket. Here yeah, we go. Just, yeah. It was just, like I'll I said, it's just, some, it's, it's just weirdly acted. I'm not sure if that's intentional or not. I'm not. Sometimes I'm not sure what is going on 
in the mind of Jillian Anderson when she's doing scenes. But anyway, so or what's or what the direction is like? How is she? Right. What is Rob Bowman telling her? Yeah. What are they telling her? Like, make sure you look like you smelled the fart when Mulder hands that to you. So I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) I have to rewatch it. But that wasn't the impression (laughs) I got. I just got kind of a resigned. (gasps) Okay, here we go. Kind of thing. So we are at San Diego Naval Hospital. And there's a doctor, he's standing and he's looking at a chart and the room is full of sailors and they're all like in like hermetically sealed beds, like with big plastic around them because they've got radiation poisoning. And hopefully it's like lead plastic because they're, if they're radioactive, that's bad, but they're probably not. They're probably just like dying from radiation. Mm-hmm. And Mulder and Scully walk in and introduce themselves. And the doctor tells Mulder that it's hard to determine the proper course of treatment due to the air of secrecy around what has happened. And Scully looks at one of the sailors who's had like, they're all just, they look messed up. Like they're all red and gross and oozy and Mm -hmm. everything. And some of them are like completely wrapped in bandages. A lot of them aren't. So you can see all their red, grossy stuff. And Scully asks the doctor if he'd characterize the symptoms as acute or somatic. And he looks a little like, what? And she's like, I'm a medical doctor. And so this is our like, hey, new viewers, Scully's a doctor. So don't start being like, why does she know all this stuff? Because she is a doctor. She is a doctor. She, stuff, so. she does know all this stuff. Yes. Yeah, so don't be questioning Scully. Scully she is smart. Stuff. Scully knows yes. lots of things. So he tells her they're somatic, though he doesn't think they've seen the worst of it. And the effects are still degrading rapidly with internal bleeding in the mouths and intestinal tracts. And they have blood in the urine. And like they're all suffering from delirium. Scully asks what kind of exposure they're talking about here. And the doctor says 200, maybe 400 roachins with a high rate of absorption. And Scully says that's leveled virgin on what victims of Hiroshima suffered. The doctor concurs, saying whatever these men came in contact with, it was man-made. Levels like this don't appear in nature. And Mulder is kind of like looking at one of them and he kind of mutters to himself. He's like, not on this planet. So love, I love it so much. I don't know. I just love Walter's little weird interjections wherever he's like, maybe it's alien, just kind of even to himself. He's just like, not on yeah. this. Planet. And going back to Scully's doctor knowledge, I will admit that I, I get the gist of it. But I don't know what somatic means. So I'm guessing it just means like, you know, whether it's like it's a symptom of something or if it's, you know, it's, well, I know what I acute guess. means. So I'm guessing it's the opposite of that, but I don't know exactly how that would work with radiation poisoning. Okay. So I don't really know. Anyway, Scully asked the doctor if he got a chance to speak with any of them, and the doctor says they were all in pretty bad shape when they arrived, except for one man, the only person on the crew who appeared to be unaffected. The doctor held him for a day, but he had none of the symptoms, and he was in great health. So the Mulder asks how he could be with this level of radiation. How could one man not be exposed? And the doctor agrees that it doesn't seem to make sense, but it sure was lucky for the rest of them. Because the healthy guy was the one who piloted the boat back. None of the others could have in their condition. So they all would have just died at sea if he hadn't been able to pilot the boat. Mulder asks if they can speak to him. And doctor says, well, he was discharged this morning. He's a Frenchman, but he has a San Francisco address. His name is Gautier. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And then we're at Pacific Heights in San Francisco, California, which I love San Francisco. It's a fun place. So I'm always excited to see it. And Gautier opens the front door to his home and he looks around before stepping inside and he sees a photo of himself on the wall with a woman and they're standing in front of the Eiffel Tower because that is a very French thing. Every French person has a picture of them in front of the Eiffel Tower in their home. That is a rule. And then the phone rings and he just lets it ring while he continues to explore the house. Yeah. 
Gautier is in quotes in Tori's notes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she's not leaving (laughs) the witnesses at all. I mean, it's pretty obvious that it's not really him. Even the way he's looking around the house, like he's never been there before. It's like, no, this guy's not. And then we're at the U.S. Naval Station in San Diego, California. The Piper Maru is docked and men with hazmat suits are on board. And they remove their masks as they deboard the boat. And Mulder and Scully pull up to a blockade near where the boat is docked. And Scully's on the phone and she says that she's getting no answer at Gautier's home number. So apparently she's the one calling. And Mulder suggests that she try the French consulate. And a man comes out from behind the blockade and Mulder flashes his badge. And we learn the man is Wayne Morgan. He's with the Navy's investigative services unit. And Mulder asks if he's turned anything up. And Morgan says no, but he's not even sure what he's supposed to be looking for. And Mulder tells him the crew of the ship are being treated for radiation poisoning. And Morgan knows all that. They had a hazmat team all over the boat and didn't find a trace of radiation. And Scully's surprised they found nothing. And Morgan says they even had divers go under the hull and like check for radiation. And they didn't detect the slightest level, not even like on the bottom of the boat. So Mulder asks if it's okay if they go on board the boat then, so clearly it's safe. And Morgan says, sure, you'll probably get more radiation off your cell phone. And Wayne Morgan is played by Stephen E. Miller, who has been on two episodes of The X-Files previously. He was the coroner and pilot, and he was a tactical commander in Dwayne Barry. Yeah, he was one of the ones at the grave site when they were doing the exhumation he's not the one who then came and ran up with his daughter he's one right of, he's one of the, like i think he's like one of the sub corners i believe mm-hmm. like so yeah someone who works at the coroner's office not the main guy he'll play assistant director andy mclaren in most episodes of millennium although interestingly Ooh. in the pilot of millennium he plays a detective who's a different character and then he'll come oh. back as assistant director andy mclaren so just we'll watch out for him when we get there oh He'll also be a feed store operator in the X-Files movie, I Want to Believe. And in addition, he's been in a boatload of other things, including The Dead Zone, The Commish, and Supernatural. He's also in the movie Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unlimited. Is that live action one? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, because I mean, because there are... There like, are a couple. Of, I think it's one of the live yeah. action ones, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay, yeah, because I think there's a couple of live action ones, but there's also been animated ones recently too where they're doing like scooby-doo one and two kind of thing so it's probably the live action one i think so so Mulder's walking down a hallway of the ship with the flashlight so they're on board the piper maru and he steps into a room and they keep the robotic diving suit and he notices this oily substance on the dome and he touches it and it's kind of like grayish yucky stuff mm-hmm. and then Mulder notices that the suit has a camera Ooh, camera that's good yeah so scully's looking around the control room and she's studying a map they have on the wall it's got a bunch of pins in it and then like towards the bottom there's this area that's got the words zeus faber written on it and then the lights come on and morgan comes in is like generators back up so the ship has power now and then she asks if this is the way that they found the room and morgan says nothing has been touched and then Mulder comes in and scully tells him it looks like someone was looking for something it looks like someone was like going through stuff kind of like you know looking mm-hmm. for stuff in the room and Mulder says he's looking for the vcr and that the dive suit had a video camera so then he sits down in the station that has the video player and he turns it on and he rewinds the footage and it pauses and then morgan's like what's that thing on the screen and Mulder says it looks like the fuselage of a plane and scully identifies it as a north american p-51 mustang and morgan's like it sure is Mulder is like what the hell and then Scully says she used to watch her father and brothers put together World War II model planes as a kid. So that's why she knows what kind of plane it is. Mm-hmm. 
And then Mulder asks if it would have been carrying anything radioactive. And she says, no, it was just a fighter plane. And then Mulder asks, then what were the men exposed to? And Scully doesn't know, but she might know someone who can. So, And also when he rewinds it, it shows the number that we saw in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so Scully is writing down the number on the side of the plane. So she's yeah. she knows someone who might know. I thought they were going to rewind it and so they would see the dude inside. But I know. Didn't. I thought so too. But then I think the tape cut out at that part. So I don't think they have that on. Oh, tape. that's when the, so like the, the so like the, the camera and the connection cut out at the same time kind of thing. Yeah. Like I wonder if stuff fritzed out. Okay. I'm guessing guess that's that what happened, but I don't know. That would be really creepy if they saw that. Yeah. Either that, or we know Mulder doesn't watch entire videotapes as we saw in, <laughs> we learned in the no. last episode that is directly related to this yeah. one in some ways like just misses the guy with no mask on in the very beginning of the tape so yeah <laughs> fast forward into the good alien part. Well, I mean, you gotta get so. that's the part he paid 29.95 for was the alien he doesn't care about some no man in 1995 paying like 29.95 plus shipping i'd watch the whole thing i'm sorry <laughs> so yeah get my get all my money's worth but yeah <laughs> Meanwhile, Gautier is going through papers and desk drawers at the house, so he's clearly looking for something, too. And he Ooh. finds a sealed envelope, and he opens it, and he reads the letter. It's in French. And then the Ooh. door opens, and a woman exclaims, You're home! I was so worried about you! And she's his wife, Joan, and she hugs him, and she asks why he didn't call. And he just stares at her. And she tells him that men from the consulate came and told her there'd been an accident. And he just keeps staring. And she asks why he's not answering her and then looks around at the mess from him ransacking the office. And so then she starts to realize something's definitely wrong. So she backs away and she's like, why aren't you answering me? And then he still doesn't answer. So she tries to run for the door, but he grabs her and his eyes turn totally black. (gasps) And then we see the front door of the home open and Joan walks out. And her eyes have that black cloudy oil that was in Gautier's eyes earlier. Uh, it is commercial. Yeah. Gautier might be dead. He might be. We don't know. He might be. Yeah. Joan is played by Kimberly Unger, who previously played U.S. Air Force radar tech Karen Koritz in Fallen Angel. Oh, nice. She was the one who was like all like, I don't know. You know, meteors don't move like that. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. So then we're at Miramar Naval Air Station. And Scully pulls up to the gate and she tells the gate attendant that she's there to see Commander Johansson and that she's Special Agent Dana Scully, FBI. And he asks if she has an appointment and she says no, but he used to be a friend of her father's. She's out here from Washington, D.C. and wanted to surprise him. The attendant offers to give her directions, but she insists that she knows the way and is let through. As she drives through the base, she sees some kids playing and smiles and then she sees two girls playing hopscotch. And then we get a flashback of young Scully and young Melissa playing hopscotch and she smiles and kind of has a little tear in her eye and then she keeps driving. So she does thankfully stop when she's watching the kids. She's not just like driving and not look at the roads. So that's good. So, <laughs> glad to see that. Extremely loose based security. Like they don't even look at her ID. They're just like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Whatever lady. So I get it. Plot. but still. Yeah, they don't care. They're like, whatever. You're with yeah. the FBI, or at least you say you are. That works all yeah. the time on Supernatural. I guess this actually is a real naval air station. It is, yeah. But the gate she goes through is like hand-operated, like stopping thing. Like the dude has to actually manually lift it, like with his hands. So it's not like super yeah. fancy. Well, it's the residential also, part too. It's not like the top security uh, part, right? It's where people live. So I don't think it's as gotcha. secure. Okay. Probably, I don't know. I mean, I've never 
been to the naval base, but I'm just assuming, or at okay. least. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So meanwhile, at Gautier's home, Mulder knocks on the door. Knock, knock, knock. And there's no answer. But then Mulder tries the handle, and it's unlocked. So he goes in. And he looks around. He's calling for Gautier. And then he looks and sees, like, through the doorway, he sees the office. And the office is trash. There's paper everywhere. So he goes inside. And he's looking around. And there's a crumpled piece of paper on the desk. So he picks it up, and he reads it. And it's in French. But the numbers from the plane are clearly visible. Because numbers don't know a language, right? So, boom, he can see those. And then he bends down and is looking through some stuff and he finds an envelope, like the torn one that the letter came in, and he matches the address. J. Kalinchuk Salvage Brokers Limited, 3702 Medlock Street in San Francisco. So he puts them in his pocket. And then he hears something elsewhere in the house, pulls his gun. And then he finds Gautier on the floor and Gautier is covered in this gray, oily nastiness. And Mulder asks him, what happened? Did he fall? And Gautier doesn't know nor does he know how he got there. The last thing he remembers, he was on the Piper Maru. And he was on a dive. And Mulder tells him that no one is in the apartment, but someone's been there going through things. And then Gote asks for his wife, and he tries to get up. And Mulder tells him that she's not there, and he needs to be careful. He's got some kind of gunk all over him. And then Mulder asks him about the salvage broker company. And then suddenly Gautier is like, I don't know anything about that company. And I would like to speak to the French consulate. And then that's it. So that's not suspicious at all. Yeah. But, yeah. So at Commander Johansson's home, Scully introduces herself and tells him that she used to live three doors down. Her father was Captain William Scully, and she used to go to school with his son. And Johansson kind of apologizes, saying that his memory isn't what it used to be, but his son no longer lives there. And Scully's like, I'm actually here to see you. So they sit down and she says she wants to ask him about a plane that's been discovered. It's a P-51 Mustang at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. And she reads him the call numbers. And Johansson says, those aren't the call numbers of a P-51. And she mentions the illustration and the words drop dead red. And Johansson apologizes because he just, he doesn't have any information to give her. And she asks if the word Zeus Faber mean anything to him. And Johansson says, no. But as he said, his memory isn't what it used to be. And so Scully asks if he knows of anyone she could speak to who might have answers for her. And he's like, well, I wish I could help you, but I don't. So she's like, well, I wish that too. And she tells him about the French sailors who may die of radiation poisoning. If they knew more about the plane, maybe they could understand why. And they stand and they shake hands. And she says it was good to see him again. And he tells her to say hello to her father. And she tells him that unfortunately he's passed away. And Johansson says he's sorry. And Scully says, this place sure brings back memories. And she talks about a game they used to play like right outside. And she's like, say hello to your son for me when you see him. And then she leaves. Yeah, this is a weird scene, honestly. We assume like she was going to go to like some person she knows. I mean, I guess it is. She is going to someone she knows. She is, yeah. It's like some old friend of her dad who like was in the war like 50 years ago and is supposed to know like these numbers from a plane just because he happened to be like saying like like when i was a kid we would travel and you'd be like oh i'm from california everyone would be like oh so you live on the beach it's like he was in the war and so he's not gonna know like all these like what do you think he's gonna know but i don't know weird. it's not a bad guess though as we'll learn so no it's not because plot but it's just weird like why wouldn't you just look them up like in military records and find out what the number is like that would be the easier thing to do maybe she's like oh i used to live here too which okay we didn't know that so that's convenient so maybe she just wanted to you know she's having all these feelings because 
the case with her sister. So who knows? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's that's a lot part of, of it. There's a lot of there's a lot of convenience action going on in this episode. I have to say, <laughs> yes, Just there like, is. Uh, yeah. So then we are at thirty-seven o two Medlock Street, San Francisco, California. And if you've been listening carefully, you know what is at this address. And there is a woman in an office, and she's opening a file cabinet, and there's a knock at the door. And she asks who it is, and through the door, the person says, his name is Mulder. And then we see that it is Mulder, and he's with the FBI. So the woman quickly puts the file back that she was looking at, and she closes it and locks the file cabinet. And then she closes the briefcase and locks it that's on the desk, too. And then she sits down at the desk and is like, come in. It's open. Mulder comes in and asks if he can speak with Mr. Kalinchuk. And she tells him that he's out of town, and Mulder asks where he can find him. And she says he's in the Far East. And then under the desk... There's a shotgun taped to the bottom of the desk Mm -hmm. and she like grabs the shotgun and like pulls back one of the hammers and Mulder tells her that he has a letter typed on his stationery and that maybe she typed it. And she's like, I don't type and then ask what his name is again. And he's like Mulder. And she's like, I'll very happily relay any messages to Kalinchuk, but that I have no way of contacting him right now. And so Mulder asks if she can have Kalinchuk call him as soon as he returns and he gives her his card. And then he asks what her name is, and she says, Geraldine. And then he's like, thank you, Geraldine. And he leaves. Mm-hmm. And Geraldine is played by Joe Bates. She's appeared on episodes of MacGyver, The Commish, and Psych. And apparently she was also in the movie Fear, which is one of her, her bigger credits. And she looks super familiar, but I did not recognize any of her credits on IMDb. I did watch a few episodes like Mantis and Nightman when those shows were on. But she was only like in one episode of each of those. So it seemed unlikely that would have like imprinted on me. So she maybe just had yeah. one of those faces. I think she does because I thought she was familiar too. And obviously I watched Psych and stuff, but like she was only on one episode. So again, doesn't seem like enough for me to really yeah. pick up her face. Just but have one of those I think faces, she does yeah. just have one of those faces. Yeah. And like that's totally not an illegal operation going on there at all. Like double barreled, sawed off shotgun, duct taped under the desk. Totally nothing illegal happening nope. here at all. Super nothing. above board. Everything Super is above fine. board. Everything is fine. Yep. So then Mulder is parked outside the office. He's like just chilling at the salvage yard. And he's kind of like, you know, slunk down in the seat so people can't really see him. And he's like watching the building. And then three cars come racing up to the building and men in suits get out and they are speaking La Francais. And they rush inside. They got guns drawn. And then as they all go inside, this car comes out from behind the building and is driven by Geraldine. And she's like, I'm leaving. Bye. And so Mulder starts this car and he's going to follow her. Mm-hmm. So, good timing, Geraldine. Yeah. Yeah, just in time to avoid the French people who are probably not happy. I'm going to assume that is not a coincidence, <laughs> but she did time it well because she waited until everybody was like they all went inside so they wouldn't see her drive. Yeah, no, like, exactly. One, yeah. Like, why wouldn't you have a dude waiting outside just to see? I don't know. Maybe they're not great at their job, but they all go in and then she comes out. So, yeah. yeah. Mulder was there, though. No one saw him, which is kind of suspicious. But anyway, so. So Scully arrives at the gate to the base to leave, but the soldier manning the gate asks her to get out of the car and Scully's confused. And so she's like, what's this about? And he tells her that she's being detained and a car pulls up alongside her. And we see that it's driven by Johansson and he gestures to the soldier. And then he gets in Scully's passenger seat and he directs her to pull off over to the side. 
So Scully's like, what's going on? Because this is super weird. And Johansson says he can't give her regards to his son. He was killed in a training accident during the Gulf War. And Scully says that she's sorry. And then she's like, but there's something else, isn't there? And Johansson just kind of is like, we bury our dead alive, don't we? And Scully doesn't understand. And Johansson says, we hear them every day. They talk to us. They haunt us. They beg us for meeting. Conscious is just the voices of the dead trying to save us from our own damnation. Which is an interesting take, I guess. That sounds like Chris Carter wrote that. (laughs) Still an interesting take. It's not something I believe, but it's an interesting thought. And Scully says he knows something about that plane, doesn't he? And Johansson says he knows because he was sent to find it as an officer on a submarine called the Zeus Faber. <gasps> so, yeah, she got lucky on that one. I mean, I agree yes, with you did. that it's, it's totally a random dart at the wall, but it, <laughs> it hit the bullseye, right? So it worked out. Yeah. yeah. And then Johansson also looked familiar because he is played by Robert Clothier. Clothier? I'm not sure how you say that. Probably Clothier. It looks Frenchy, but I don't know. He previously played old man in Red Museum. He was the one in the pickup truck, drove Mulder and Scully out there. And then at the end, he's like driving the pickup truck when like the restaurant's closed. His first acting credit was in 1956 and his final was in 1998. He died in 1999 at the age of 77. And in real life, he was a Lancaster bomber with the 408 Goose Squadron, the Royal Canadian Air Force 6th Group during World War II. And he was the recipient of the Distinguished Flying Cross. that's awesome yeah so he actually was a world war ii guy canadian so you flew with the canadian royal air force so then we are in san francisco international airport sfo sfo is san francisco airport oh that sounds like ufo it does it does sound like ufo hmm yeah hmm so then geraldine takes her boarding pass from the gate attendant for a flight to hong kong Mulder watches her queue up and get on the plane and then his phone rings and it's Scully. And she tells him she thinks she found out what those men were exposed to, what the Piper Maru was looking for. The P-51 was an escort to a B-29 that was carrying an atomic bomb, just like the one dropped on Hiroshima. Only it never reached its target, which is like, where was that one going? Could we drop two? We're going to drop a third one? What's going on? America needs to calm down. Anyway, I know. Seriously. Don't even get me started. Yeah. Even, I mean, one was too many, but two was definitely too many. But I'm not yeah, going to get so into where, that right now. Where was now. that third one going? Yeah. And then also the whole like drop dead red. Like we think of red as like communist, but like that's also what the Japanese were considered the red because the whole mm-hmm. thing. So I think that's what that was for. Yeah. Communist wasn't until after the war. That was when, well, I mean, we did some of that before the war too mm-hmm. in the United States, but the big communist stuff. We got the Cold War. Anyway, enough of that business. So Mulder says, like, well, who told you that? Like, says who? And she says, one of the men originally sent to find it on a submarine called the Zeus Faber. And Mulder asks, why wait 50 years to try to recover it? You know, after we assume they went to try and find out, like, probably right after it happened. And why was the only person not exposed, the diver who was sent to find it? And Scully doesn't know. And he tells her to try and find out. And she's like, well, what about you? And he says, I'm going to Hong Kong. <laughs> She's like, what? And he's like, I'm about to board my flight. Got to call you back later. So Mulder goes to get his ticket from the ticket desk. And then he's getting me to head over to the plane. And then in a seat in the waiting area, we see Joan go to his wife. And she's sitting on a bench. And then she turns to watch him leave. <gasps> oh, man. Remember the days where you could just like go up to the gate and buy a ticket for the flight near the gate? Oh. Just amazing. And you can just randomly sit on benches like yeah. by the gate. 
Yeah, you didn't have to have a ticket. ticket. There was no security. There was no TSA. I mean, there was security, but there was no like TSA. I mean, anyway. I know. I mean, I don't. Yeah, TSA is security theater. We won't get into that. Yeah. So then we're in Washington, D.C. Well, you forgot we had a commercial. Oh, right. I'm sorry. We have a commercial. Yes. And then we come back from commercial. The capitalism. And we're in Washington, D.C. Yes. And we're at a restaurant called Chadwick's and Skinner is sitting and drinking coffee and three men in suits file in and sit at tables near him. And one of them says, anything good here? Anything not on the menu? And Skinner's like, you'll have to ask the waitress. Like he has no patience for these people. And that the- sounds porny too, I have to say. <laughs> and the men, <laughs> just so kind of gross. Now I'm just picturing this man like just hitting on Skinner. He, he's just not really there to threaten him. He's well, not only that, but then also like Skinner's like, y'all have to ask the waitress about what's not on the menu. It's like, that just sounds like they're running something else oh. in that restaurant. But Anyway, all the men stare at him. and He's like, do you have a problem? And the first guy's like, if there's something not on the menu, Mr. Skinner, there's usually a reason, wouldn't you say? And Skinner's like, I didn't come here for conversation. And the second man says, the FBI has a hierarchy for a reason. And the people beneath him should obey Skinner's orders. <laughs> Which now I'm thinking of it in that context. <laughs> it's worse. It's worse. <laughs> the people beneath him should obey Skinner's orders. Anyway, yeah, now we Nick got is some put- fanfic coming up from this scene. Yes. <laughs> so Skinner's like, who are you? And the first man says they work for the intelligence community. And Skinner's like, well, remind me not to move there. And so he grabs his coat and he stands and two of the men like stand, they like get up to and they block his path and they tell him, you take your orders like those below you. If a case is made inactive, such as the death of an FBI agent's sister, maybe that's because those above you have done the hard work of arriving at that decision. And Skinner sarcastically thanks him for the reminder and he leaves. And as he does, one of them gives him like a veiled threat that it helps to remember these things if a man looks forward to his future, which... I don't know. Like Skinner, I'm kind of not impressed by these guys. Yeah. Well, one, one they can't act at all. They're, <laughs> they're really bad actors, but also, yeah, not that. But Skinner does pay for his whatever he ordered, though. So that's oh, good. Yeah. He just like drops some money on the table before he leaves. So, although the place is complete, like there is no one in this place. So it's got like dozens of tables and like there's a, like another partition, like a whole other section of the restaurant. It is a huge place, and there is nobody in there except for Skinner. I'm like, how is this place still in business? Seriously. Yeah, maybe it's like, like that time between the breakfast and lunch rush where like no one's in there, so probably like 10:30 in the morning. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Man, but it, it is very dead. Weird. Yeah, and like all the tables are done, like they're ready for people to be sitting at them. It's not like he's there like after hours or like between like. Right. You know, we're not serving now. We're not serving now, but for you, assistant director Skinner, like come on in it's cool because then they let the other dudes just walk in she's like hi and they just walk past her and she's like okay whatever and just stays at the <laughs> desk doing her whatever she's doing so yeah it's not like they're not open so it's just weird but i get it tv again but it's, yeah it's, i know it's, it's huge and there's no, and like you can see the kitchen there's no one back in the kitchen either like the kitchen's totally empty no one's back there so just strange anyway scully is back in johansson's home and I guess they drove back to his house and he's showing her a photo of the men who served on the Zeus favor. And he tells her that they all joined thinking they'd come home heroes. And he points himself out and he says, the rest of those men in this photo, within a month, they were all dead. Oh. The madness they intended to unleash upon the Japanese 
they ended up unleashing upon themselves. And Scully's like, radiation killed those men? And Johansson says it began with burns on their bodies, like she described on the French sailors. And then we get a flashback, and it's all in black and white, and they're really bad, like, digital or something, submarine, like, moving through some water. Doesn't look good. And he tells Scully that they found the sunken squadron when a Japanese destroyer moved in the sea. So rather than turn back, Captain Sanford told them to go silent running. And after three days, the burn started to appear on the sailors. Inside the sub, we see a young man tending to a soldier with burns and then several more on cots. And Johansson continues that no one had seen burns like that before, but they began to suspect they had something to do with the planes that they'd been sent to recover. And as the XO, Johansson urged the captain to return to port, but he refused to leave the area. Oh, not good. So then back in the flashback, we see the sailor who was tending to the wounds of the other soldiers. He tells Captain Sanford that, like, I'm not a doctor, but these men are all dying and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And Sanford tells him, just do your job. And the sailor says that if they remain down there any longer, none of them are going home. So then the sailor leaves and goes to see Johansson and tells him that he's the XO and they have to surface. The captain is losing his mind. But Johansson is like, the Japanese are shadowing us. And then someone shouts like, we're all going to die. And in the infirmary, we see a man who's got burns all over him. He's waving a gun around and he's like, we need to get out of here. And then the gun goes off and Captain Sanford tackles the guy. And then Johansson, another sailor, like rush over to the door when the gun goes off. And then Johansson says that then he knew the only way to survive was to get out of there. In order, he knew the captain would never issue. So Johansson shuts the door to the infirmary and he locks it and several of the men and Sanford inside. And Johansson knew that this was mutiny, but it was their only hope. And he also knew that by sealing that door, he was sealing the fate of the men locked behind it. And then in the flashback, we see Sanford in the room and he turns to look at all the sailors inside and his eyes go black. So he's got this stuff way back in World War II. So that may have been him in the plane. We don't really know. Yeah, we don't ever yeah. find out. But somehow it got from his eyes to someone in a plane's eyes and then into Gaultier's eyes. Now in Gaultier's wife, Joan's eyes. Yeah. Where's it going to end up next? Who knows? Maybe we'll Mulder. find out. Maybe. Yeah. So back in the present, Johansson says that by luck, they made it to Pearl Harbor. And Scully asks what happened to Sanford and the sick crewmen. And Johansson tells her that when they opened that door, those that were not yet dead were dying. And of the 144 men on that boat, only seven of them survived. And none of them ever got an explanation as to why. Yeah. Also, he earlier told her that all those men were dead within like 30 days. So when he just showed her the photo the first time. So she probably should have known how the story was going to end. Yeah. yeah. Although go by like, so he wasn't the only one who survived. But it just seems yeah. weird, like, of 144 men, like, like it's not like he had radiation burns and then just survived them. It's almost like he wasn't affected at all. Right, seven like, people weren't. It's kind of weird. I'm like, like why? Did, like, they all have the black oil stuff at some point? I don't know. It just seems weird. Yeah. Because, like, all the Frenchmen, it was everybody except for Gautier, right? So, and he obviously right. had the stuff. That's probably why. But six others, including Johansson. So that just seemed weird to me, but. Yeah, I don't know. Because there's no way like 138 men were locked in that room. It's like all of them were locked in that room and those were all the ones who died. There was maybe like maybe 20 people in that room. So, yeah. No, that's not all yeah. of them on the ship for sure. Yeah. yeah. So that just seemed weird to me. But 
Gotta have somebody live to tell the story. He's not a bad guy, I guess. Unless, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's going to be a bad guy later. We haven't got to the end yet, so I don't know if he is a bad guy. Maybe we'll find oh, out. Yeah. Anyway, then we're in Hong Kong, and at a restaurant, Geraldine is eating some dumplings, and Mulder asks her if the seat beside her is taken, and then sits down and calls her Miss Kellencheck. It is Miss Kellencheck, right? And she says Jerry with a J, so that's where <gasps> she's Jay Kellencheck came Kalinchuk. from. Yep. Oh. There's no husband, Mulder. There's no man. It's just her. So Mulder tells her that he noticed she flew first class. Must be good money selling classified government secrets. And she tells him it's a bull market. Let's make a deal. And he asks how much for the location of a P-51 Mustang that she sold to the French government. She's like, why would I tell you? And he says he'd rather know who sold her the secret. And Jerry says she's a middleman. And then she says, mind the gender type, because that's kind of her thing. And she says, it would be bad business to divulge my sources. And so then he asks why she flew to Hong Kong. And she says to meet a buyer. And he asks to sell him what? And Jerry corrects that the buyer is a woman, actually. But it's none of Mulder's business. Yeah, she's like, excuse your gender type. Right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And Mulder tells her that it is his business because whatever she's selling is killing sailors in a California hospital, which is why he's going to arrest her. <laughs> she's like, with what chopsticks? They don't allow handguns in Hong Kong, which means they confiscated Mulder's at the airport. And then he slaps a handcuff on her wrist and he has the other cuff attached to his wrist. So now they're handcuffed together. And she protests she's like, you can't do that. And he's like, I just did. So let's make a deal. And he walks her out of the restaurant. And he walks her through a dark hall and she's like, you're violating my civil rights. And he says that she gave up her civil rights when she committed treason. And she says that he can't force her to do anything. So they reach a door that says J. Callum Chuck Salvage on the front. And this is clearly her Hong Kong office. So he tells her to open the door and she doesn't. And then he kicks the door open and he asks where the lights are. Yeah. And he says, excuse my gender type when he kicks the door. So. They keep going back and forth. That yeah, it's kind of their little thing. Yeah. I didn't, I felt like that wasn't really the best way to say it, but whatever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going to get to something later that I think all that stuff is in there intentionally. And oh, yeah. It's, it's like a, it shouldn't be a joke, but I think it's because it's a joke. So yes, but it's a joke because like Mulder assumes it's a man. Yeah. But also what happens later, I think it's they actually put it a in woman. The script that yes. It's no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. And I agree with you too. Yay, we agree. See, yeah. me and Nick agree on everything all the time. And he's just all the time. Pretending Scully is reviled <laughs> by both of us. Tori just to pretends that she doesn't. And happy. we have a little. No, 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 no. I have an altar to Scully in my apartment. Don't you have an altar? I thought I made you set up a Scully altar. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> altar versus like, I mean, altars can work more than one way can't they <laughs> anyway we hear right here someone says because Mulder had previously asked where the lights were before we got diverted and then we find out that it's Crychek <gasps> oh my gosh and he's holding a gun Oh. and Mulder says I thought guns were against the law here and Crychek's well like you know what they say when guns are outlawed just that only outlaws have guns yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. Mulder tells him to shoot himself in the head like he shot his father. Just Mulder just going right to it and not messing around. <laughs> I mean, like, you, <laughs> you think Scully is emotionally invested, but then Mulder's just like immediately, you killed my daddy. 
<laughs> you killed my father again. I am your father, but nope, they don't go that way. No, and Jerry goodness. is like, Jerry's like, great, high noon in Hong Kong. And then Crychek tells her to shut up and he pushes her outside, but she's still like handcuffed the molder. And then the cuff chain is like caught in the door because Crychek closes the door and locks it. And then Mulder's like, yeah. And so she's like, like still handcuffed the Mulder, but then outside. And then there's a locked door between them. I don't know how that works, honestly. How like how you can shut a door and lock it when there's a chain in between. Yeah, I mean that's some special TV magic because most of the also, time that would just stop it. From Mulder closing. just kicked this door open, so I'm thinking you can't relock it. But I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know how many locks there are in this door, apparently. But Mulder did just kick this door open. So, mm. anyway, Mulder's like, "That's no way to treat your business partner." And then we hear gunshots out in the hallway, and then we hear like, "Oh!" And like Jerry screams, and then she's on the ground, obviously, because Mulder, like, ugh, like, pulled down by the weight of a body through the door. And then Crychek is like, mm, I'm out of here, because there are gunshots in the hallway. That's probably not good for me. And so he goes to the window, <laughs> goes to get out, and he stops to tell Mulder, like, looks like she's your partner now. <laughs> and then he jumps out the window. And then we have a commercial. Crychek is such a coward. Oh, my God. I, I mean, if running from people with guns that are outside and probably want to kill you makes you a coward, I'm like, I'm a coward. So I mean, I am too, but like, he's the one who he's standing there trying to be all menacing, like I have a gun, blah, blah, blah. and then as soon as he hears gunshots, it's like, oh, out, well, I'm it's out. Easy to be menacing with a gun when the person you're menacing doesn't have a gun. I know, I'm not disagreeing. Uh, I'm but just when there's like tactics. you know three, four, five guys with guns in the hallway want to come in and they just shot your partner. You well, he doesn't know how many there that, are. He just... No, but he probably knows like they i'm sure they travel in groups that's probably true he is a assassin possibly like i mean so not a very good one works. but yeah no but he probably knows how <laughs> things run i mean i'm sure he has some idea so yeah yeah anyway i still like the whole door thing still just is baffling my mind like even not thinking about the fact that Mulder just kicked the door in it's like the frame is probably like broken but then also like i don't like i can barely close my own closet door when i have like the hanger hanging on the top to like hang my jacket on it and then like he's got like handcuffs and closes the door and then yeah i don't know it must be some cheap wood in that place i don't know i'm probably thinking about it too much yeah i mean you're right that it wouldn't work but also eh. <laughs> yeah. i do think the bigger thing is that Mulder just kicked the door open but the chain thing also yeah how could you close the door completely then on the hall, we see there are several men with guns and they're heading for the door. Like I said, several men with guns heading for the door. Yes, I would run too. Mulder is struggling with the cuff key to get free and he drops it on the floor in the dark. And then he's like, damn. And he fumbles around for it like Velma looking for her glasses. He's all, ooh, ooh, can't find it. And then the men break down the door and they go inside. But Mulder is gone. And the cuff that he had on that was still like on, we see Jerry's body like just laying there dead. And the cuff is still there and the key is still inside of it. And then one of them runs to the window and he sees Mulder running down the street and they all leave the office to go chase after him. And they are all speaking French. Mm-hmm. And then so as they're heading out to chase Mulder, we see Joan just walking down the hall towards them. And so they run towards her because they're just like, get out of our way, lady. And then she's like, stands there. And then all of a sudden this big like light comes out of her abdomen and like, like flares in the whole hallway. And the men are like, oh, they fall to the ground. And then light fades, and then Joan walks past him. And on the ground, the men look messed up. They have like some severe radiation burns. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. So back at Chadwick, Skinner sits at what I assume is his usual table, or at least it's the table he was sitting in last time. Yeah, there are some customers in there now. So that's 
good. At least a little busier, yeah. And a man walks past Skinner and kind of brushes against him. And a waitress brings Skinner coffee and he asks how the blue plate is. And she's like, it looks good. So he orders one medium rare. And then the man who walked past Skinner is at the hostess stand. And he tells the server that the payphone is out of order. And he's like, and I'm going to complain about it. And she apologizes. And she's like, well, I'm sure it's been called in. And he's like, well, I'm going to miss my phone call, which is going to cost me time and money. And so she apologizes again. And so Skinner sees this exchange and he walks up and he's like, is there a problem here? And the man turns around. He's like, yeah, there's a big problem. And he pulls a gun and he shoots Skinner. (gasps) We see the man is Luis Cardinal. (gasps) And the waitress screams and then Skinner falls to the floor. And Cardinal spits at him and then leaves. And the waitress rushes over to like help Skinner and like tell someone else to call 911. Wow. Yeah, pretty dramatic. He was really angry about that phone not working. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's Ooh, I don't think that's what was going on, but and apparently um, whoever he was going to call it was going to cost a dollar seventy five because he's like, I want my dollar seventy five back. Like, where are you? Calling, it's an expensive dude? payphone. Yeah, maybe he was calling Hong Kong. I mean, probably that would make sense. Yeah. Although, then again, he and Krychek aren't working together anymore because he tried to blow Krychek up in a car. Well, that's true. So I don't mm. think they're they're working. Where would together he be calling? It cost dollar seventy five though. Jeez. I don't know. Yeah. So speaking of calls, Scully gets home and her phone rings and she answers it. And it's Kim Cook from the director's office. She tells Scully that assistant director Skinner was shot about an hour ago and he's been taken to Northeast Georgetown. And so Scully's like, okay, I'm on my way. And she hangs up. Yeah. I'm like, is Scully is next to Kim? Like, why are they calling Scully? Like, is, is Kimberly like, Scully is the bestest doctor of all doctors. She'll save Skinner. Like, why is she calling Scully? I don't understand I don't, why she's calling Scully. I don't know. Maybe I'm- I don't know, because Skinner and Scully are close. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's yeah. going on. Why are they calling Scully? But, yeah. <laughs> I, I, obviously, Scully, like, went back to D.C., too, obviously. So, mm-hmm. when Mulder's like, I'm going to Hong Kong. Bye. Well, yeah. Why would she stick around San Francisco? I mean, San Francisco's great. Don't get me wrong. She could go spend a really great time. Well, he like- did say, like, you know, try and find out what was going on. But apparently, she was just going to find out in Washington, I guess. because she. Yeah. That, well, so. I mean, you saw her face when she got the plane ticket. She doesn't want to be in California. <laughs> That's true. Although she grew up there, so she seemed to be <laughs> fine. With, I don't know. Yeah, this is a lot of weirdness anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. These are not the plot holes you're looking for. Anyway, we go to Hong Kong Airport and Crycheck arrives at the gate for a flight back to D.C. So Crycheck's heading back to D.C. He's probably going to hook up with Scully. They're like, <laughs> Mulder's I mean, dead. I don't think so. Let's just get together. Oh, yeah, I killed your sister. Actually, it wasn't me. It was Louise. And so, yeah, you know, given what happens in the next episode, I don't think Scully and Krychek are going to ever be friends. So you keep you keep ruining things by watching episodes ahead of time. Just... Well, I have to write the recap. <sighs> Whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> Mulder is standing by a payphone and pretending to be on a phone call when Krychek walks by. And then as soon as well, Krychek walks by, he's like, boom, and hits him with the phone and then grabs him and slams him against the wall. And he's like, that first one was for your partner. The second one's for me. Ugh. And then he pulls out Krychek's gun from behind his back because Krychek has like a, you know, through his back kind of thing. So Mulder grabs his gun, pulls it out. So he's going to shoot Krychek with his own gun, sticks it in his gut. It's like, this one is for my father. And then Krychek's like, I didn't kill your father. Again, I am your father, Mulder. But Mulder doesn't believe him. And then Krychek is like, you know, finish it. If you're going to do it, finish it, Mulder. Go ahead, finish it. Like kind of egging him on knowing that Mulder won't kill him. And then Mulder lets him go, moves back a little bit, but he kind of like keeps the gun on him, but trying to hide it. Cause like they're in an airport in a country where you're not allowed to have guns. And Mulder's like holding a gun on somebody. Probably not mm-hmm. cool. If like, you know, 
no he shows up yeah and being yeah. an fbi agent isn't going to help him out here because he doesn't have authority nope, nope, yet, nope, so. nope, nope, nope. yeah so we asked Crycheck for that digital tape that remember in anasazi and blessing way and paperclip that we saw remember when Crycheck and louise Cardinal and that other dude like beat up skinner and took the tape so yep. Mulder's like hey give me that tape and Crycheck's like i don't have it Mulder's like i think that's bullshit and and he's like where's the tape i know that's where you're getting all these secrets that you're selling and so Crycheck finally admits that it's in a locker in D.C. And he'll give it to Mulder if he lets him go. And so he kind of like is like doing the like, hey, hey, I'm going to reach in my pocket. Don't shoot me. And mm-hmm. he reaches into his pocket. And he pulls out a locker key. He holds it up. Mulder goes to snatch it. But Crycheck pulls it back. And it's like, mm-mm. And Mulder's like, you put that tape in my hands. We'll talk about you going free. And so he's like, go clean yourself up. Because Crycheck knows it's bleeding from where Mulder smacked him. So mm-hmm. He's got like, blood running down his face. And so he's like, go, go clean yourself up. If you're not out in three minutes... And they come in there and kill you. And then Mulder kind of checks the bathroom out ahead of time. And then let's Crycheck go in. So. Yeah. So Joan walks past Mulder to the restrooms. And inside, Crycheck washes his face. And then he heads for a urinal. And Joan goes into the men's bathroom. And so then she walks up to a urinal also. And she stands next to Crycheck. And so, like, the urinal has, like, a divider between it. And so she's standing at the other urinal. And he's looking down and he sees her heel, like the high heel that she's wearing. So he looks up and she looks at him and he like starts to laugh because ho ho, female presenting person at a urinal. And she grabs him by the throat. And then Crycheck comes out of the bathroom and Mulder's like, do you feel better? And Crycheck says, like a new man. And then we see the black oil cloud over his eyes. <gasps> yes. And then it's to be continued is infected yeah yeah and to be continued so part one of two so yeah i mean i don't feel bad about crowcheck getting attacked and possibly murdered because he was being a transphobic jerk well it seems like getting attacked by the black oil stuff doesn't leave you murdered so no it doesn't but jones probably gonna wake up super confused in another country in a men's bathroom so can you imagine can you imagine that day where you're just like (laughs) how did i get to hong kong like that is going to be why am i in a men's bathroom covered in this like oily gunk yeah yeah what happened to me yeah so I do wonder if that whole like with him like doing the like haha kind of thing is a callback to his original appearance in Gender Bender where he plays a different character and it's kind of like being gross about like I thought like don't tell anybody I thought uh, it looked like like if that was a dude don't let anybody know that I thought it was you know kind of thing. Yeah. So I kind of wonder especially because earlier we talked about well, like Mulder and Jerry have that whole thing about gender roles and going back and forth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if all that was just kind of put in there so they could have that little jokey bit because i'm sure they've gotten you know everyone on the internet is always like all like cry check was in gender bender did you know cry check was in gender bender did you know cry check was in gender bender so <laughs> everyone is you know going on about that all the time so i wonder if that was i mean i'm sure even back then that was a thing so oh yeah i'm sure even back yeah. then people were like wait that guy was in gender bender yeah and he was creepy then so he's still creepy even without being transphobic. He did. But... He cut off all his floppy Richard Grieco hair since the last time we saw him. I kind of like the floppy Richard Grieco hair. Yeah. He looked better with floppy Richard Grieco hair. So. 
Also, he is like super sweaty in this entire episode. I know. He's so very <laughs> it's like Which... just like take a shower, dude. Come on. <laughs> so, Nick yeah. Lee. I don't know if that was styling or if Nick Lee was just exceptionally sweaty while they were. Well, no, but like that. he always has like dots of like sweat on his forehead. Like even when he's in, you know, when they yeah. first, first see him, he's like all sweaty and then he's all like greasy and just got beat up. And then like, yeah, so he's looking. Well, I think that's just supposed to like denote how like he's always nervous and always De- whatever, how desperate he is yeah desperate so. and nervous yeah. yeah but just like yeah take, take a shower dude it's cool I'm sure they have showers in hong kong oh yeah they definitely do and hong kong restaurant did look a lot like a standard like well i mean obviously this was in vancouver so not really americanized but it looks super like an americanized chinese restaurant mm-hmm. um, but yeah but apparently it's a hong kong restaurant so. well apparently it's very close to jerry's office there so yeah it, it has to be because Mulder, like hand he strangely chose the option like he sits by her right he slides up next to her but then he handcuffs the handcuff is on his left arm and then he handcuffs his left arm to her left arm like he has to reach across to handcuff her that just seems like super inconvenient to do mm-hmm. like especially yeah unless they're like really close and also not conspicuous at all to be dragging some woman handcuffed to you like through you know how far we have, they have to go even like the places like above the restaurant still like you know they gotta get out of the restaurant first so yeah yeah, yeah i was getting the feeling it was like the same area like the restaurant and then the hallway and then the i'm hoping so right because man if they had to like get in a cab or something that was going to be inconvenient yeah yeah so so piper maru is the name of jillian anderson's daughter that's like her first and middle name so they decided to name the ship after her again i have questions about the naming after people thing only because they seem to name stuff after people that's like really like a ship is fine but then it's like a death ship full of death radiation i don't know i I mean i guess it's still cute to have your name in the show i mean i honestly if i had been full of death radiation (laughs) (laughs) if i had been 12 years old and chris carter was like I'm going to name this thing after you. And it's horrible, but it's going to be in the X-Files. I would have been like all about it. So like, again, you know, I guess it just depends, but sometimes the stuff they name after people, I'm always like, that seems like an interesting choice. Cause it's not really that much of an. Also just honor. like, you know what? I, I get it. But like, just don't name stuff after people. Like you don't have to. I mean, dude, you Supernatural can... has a whole character named after one of the showrunners. The showrunner is Robert Singer. The character is Bobby Singer. It's literally, they even make a joke about it in the show at one point like yeah I it mean, happens well i mean if you're making a joke about it that's one that's, then you're being like, well they make a about joke it, about right? it in one episode but he's a character for like seven seasons or something like he's a big character and he's uh, like but still like just yeah don't you know don't <laughs> i know it they, happens that's weird Sometimes. because i remember looking up when we did our supernatural thing i did a little bit of research as well i mean you went through and kind of did the explainer and i kind of knew the basis but i was just doing a little bit of look, working they made a big thing because like the show was like in development like for 10 years and they had a big, they had to keep changing all kinds of names because like real people lived in Kansas who had those names and they had to keep changing names. So like when they first started the show, they were like, no way, can't have real names. And then now they're like, eh, name shit after people. Yeah, I can't remember what season Bobby shows up in, but he's like a really big, he's like kind of a father figure to the Winchesters. And he's like named after like one of the showrunners or executive producers is Robert Singer and they just name him Bobby Singer. And so that's like. Yeah. And we didn't specify in the episode when we talked about it mitch pleggy plays actually their grandfather which seems old like but yeah well there's some but i'm pretty sure and again i started watching again at season six so i don't exactly remember but i think there's some timey-wimey stuff going on there maybe also he was apparently very young when he had his daughter anyway and then crycheck has a whole episode where he's like a back in time 
kind of monster hunter guy, which I thought was interesting because I was like, oh my God, it's Crycheck. Oh. I'm so Nick Lee is in there. And then also X is in there because Stephen Williams plays a hunter. So were you like, oh, oh Crycheck, I hate you, Crycheck. No, because he's like okay. a different guy. He's actually okay. more competent. So you're able to actually just the... associate from. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I was joking that it was Crycheck, but obviously it's not. And like, you know, Stephen Williams plays a hunter who's Bobby Singer's friend, and he's in lots of episodes. So yeah, it's weird because you're like, whoa, X Files people all over the place. But not Jillian Anderson or David Duchovny, at least as far as I know. Anyway, I don't know why we're talking about Supernatural. This episode came from some ideas that Chris Carter had. I mean, that's what happens when you write, right? Like you have ideas and you turn them into Yeah, something. and you turn them into episodes. But, Especially if you're like in charge of like writing episodes and you have ideas, you tend to turn them into episodes for things yeah. you're working on. So in this one, he had had this mental image of like a sunken World War II pilot that was stuck underwater in a sunken plane, but still alive somehow. And he also wanted some kind of submarine flashback because he thought that would be cool. And so Spotnitz apparently kind of took that stuff and ran with it. And he had actually been flying back from an X-Files convention, which must have been one of the first ones. It was 90, 95 or 96. This was I know this was 96, but I'm not sure when they filmed it. But apparently at the convention, it had been brought up how Scully hadn't really gotten to deal with her sister's death yet. Like, obviously, like Nick said, she hasn't mentioned it in like five months because on the mm-hmm. show, she has not mentioned it. And don't so be hating people like I'm not the only one who thought that. OK, y'all thought that way back then. So there. <laughs> so because people were bringing that up to spot, it's like, hey, we should probably bring that back in and kind of deal with it a little. And he thought it would be good to bring back Crycheck at the same time, because obviously Crycheck was involved in her death. Yeah, they could. Like, I get the like, I don't I don't know why. Like, I want a submarine flashback to play in. Like, what? Why would you ever <laughs> think that? Like, well, that's a, that's the thing I'm, I think about all the time. You know, I wish I had a submarine flashback. Like you had submarine scenes in earlier episodes. Did you forget that you had submarine scenes in earlier episodes? Like I don't, maybe because of the world war two connection, he thought it'd be cool if there was like some kind of flashback with the sub trying to find the plane. And he guess, didn't really know like, when they would weird. Yeah. I get like the, like, Oh, there, there's a sunken plane and there's a pilot was still alive. Like that's kind of like, Whoa, that's weird. But then it's like, and we'll have a submarine flashback. <laughs> Okay. Okay. That's, yeah. Given how the writing process works, that doesn't seem weird to me because I think that is sort of how it goes. Yeah. So like, they got this they idea. really should have not used the like submarine go that that part where they introduce the sub and it's going to that looks so bad. They could have just jumped right to like we're in the submarine. It's gray scale. It's black and white. We know it's the flashback. We know they're in a submarine. We don't need the little image that looks yucky. It doesn't look yucky. It just does not look great. You can like that's a right. Toy that's a toy and you kind of did some soft focus on it to make it look like it's going through water no it it looks pretty so it might have been digital i don't know but it looks like a toy so yeah i don't know if it was practical or digital it was probably digital but i don't know i'm sure there probably could have been some stock footage they could have bought and just went grayscale on it but whatever yeah and then i thought nick would appreciate this quote so apparently on the black oil alien virus is what they call it in one of the books i always i don't know if it's I, I don't know. I'm mean, again, I don't really remember the mythology. I remember the black oil being all over the place in season four. So I think that's going to happen, but it's like venom basically. I mean, it's very similar, right? Yeah. It's very similar. And Although, by venom, Eddie I mean Brock... like Spider-Man venom. Yeah. yeah. Not, not like, like snake venom. <laughs> no, like venom and Eddie Brock in yeah. the romantic comedy venom. Yeah. Or just in the Spider-Man <sighs> comic books when it was an alien symbiote costume that Spider-Man got in the secret wars miniseries, the very first limited series that ever existed in comic books. So boom, nice, gotcha. nice. Yeah. And then he attached to Eddie and history was made. Yeah. Anyway, so Spotnitz says about the black oil, 
In the early days, I thought we were going to have the freedom to have all kinds of aliens. But by season three, I realized, you know, this is all going to have to tie together in one central narrative to make sense. Yep. So and you right can thank Spot that note, for that. I wrote no shit. Someone finally realized it. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about before. Spot and it's had a lot to do with like kind of coalescing the alien mythology into like one thing instead of having it just run all over the place. Yeah. So good job. Cause that is something that I was like from almost not from day one, because on day one, we only had one set of aliens, but maybe like on by day two, we started to get a little iffy. So yeah. And by day three, it was just, what are you talking about? So <laughs> well, I guess day three was actually. Day three was Eugene Tombs. Tombs so yeah. Yeah. So could be an alien i mean he might be we don't know his yeah, origins he's not like normally human so a mutant maybe <laughs> possibly perhaps possibly yeah yeah i got nothing else to say i think i said everything that needs to be I, said yeah i don't really either. again this is part one of two so it's one of those other ones where we it's drop a, in the middle yeah, of the story i so don't know I don't know how it's going to end. Tori knows how it's going to end. I do know how it's going to end. Yeah. I have seen the second half. I have not. So I know all about it. Yeah. Playing the part of innocent is <laughs> So, yes. Yeah. So, again, it's hard for me to rate these when they drop in the middle because I feel like it's only half an episode. Like, again, this is very much like Part this, one of two. This one does feel like more of a full episode than like Nisei did, though. So, oh, yeah, yeah. that's fair. It, it does have that like ending, at, you know, the stinger ending. But yeah, it does have a lot happen. But at least stuff is kind of, we at least learn like who Jade Kalinchuk is. And we at least, you know, what else happens? I guess we find out about the plane and the old sub that also well, had radiation. Yeah, I mean, we don't understand like how the person got in the plane. Yeah, I don't think we ever do. Because Sorry. that's what's and that's what's also that's what's weird if we think about it logistically. Yeah, I honestly hadn't thought about they're that. They're in but the you're sub right. looking for those planes, and then somehow the dude with the black oil in his eyes, like where did he get it from? But then he ends up if he if that's not him, he transferred it to someone who was still in the plane and was not yet dead. Then. I mean, it has to be him. It has to be him. But then how did he get in the plane? Yeah, no, I don't know. And I actually, I honestly had not thought about that because I just sort of was like, oh, creepy guy in plane. And then just forgot it like Chris Carter. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think too much about it either until we were talking about it. And I probably could go back and check to see if that was supposed to be Captain Sanford or not. Um, mm. I think it probably is supposed to be him. I think so. it probably is. How he got down there, I don't know. Maybe because he was trying to get back to whatever... I mean, if like Mulder believes, which, you know, we will learn next episode what was down there. But if it was a UFO, perhaps he was trying to get back to his ship and unfortunately fell short and was only able to. Yeah, because Johansson does plane? say that seven people, including himself, survived. Right. So maybe we kind of make the assumption that Captain Sanford was not one of them. But why wouldn't he be, especially if he had the black oil in his eyes? Right. He would have been. So one he of would the have been one who survived. survived. And so he would have gone back later to try and get it. And then, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's probably what happened. But it is weird. Yeah. I hadn't thought about but then that. Then how? Before. Like, yeah. Why is how he, he ended up in the cockpit? I don't know. Yeah, and it was like, shit. Yeah, what did know. I do? What, that was a yeah, dumb idea. Yeah. He screwed up somehow. Locking myself yeah. in the cockpit. Pff, now what am I? I mean, do? he's an alien. He doesn't know how those human planes work. And he made a mistake, yeah, I guess. I don't know. 
Yeah. I don't have the exit code to get out of the airplane. Oh. <laughs> Scully, watch the tape. Watch the tape. That Maybe number the on the plane is really close to the entry code to the train car. I thought it was going to be the same one, but that one is six digits. We made the note that the entry code to the train car is seven digits, but it's like mm-hmm. four ones. And then I think it was like four, seven, one. And this one is like three ones and then four, seven, zero. I was kind of like, oh, but not, not, nope. So I don't know if it was, I don't know, maybe maybe that 1174 thing is a number that's important about something and we just didn't know it. I actually didn't dig to see if that number was important in this episode. So no numerology in this episode. <laughs> maybe I'll do some research and find out for next episode. I know you guys want that. So I know there's desperate desire for that information. So maybe I'll see if I can find it. Other numbers we can talk about is our ratings because Toria was talking about that. Yay! We got sidetracked. We did so, get sidetracked. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. So I'm just trying to think ratings wise. I guess. Oh, I mean, I'm not. I'm just gonna go with an eight. I think it's an Whoa. eight. I like it. I think it's a good episode. I think I'm gonna bump up like Oubliette and some other stuff. I think I might have already done that actually because I feel like maybe I lowballed some of them. But I mean, I think it's good. It's got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, it's it's intriguing. The whole time I was like, whoa, what's going on? Like, what is happening? I didn't put together that like Crycheck had the digital tape full of secrets. I think that's a great connection to, to like thread that back through because we've we started the season with the digital tape. And so now it's like, oh, okay, the guy who has it is actually using the information in a really interesting way. And it is leading people to places where possibly there was a UFO in the water. So, You're I mean, I thought that was stuff good. that you introduced in previous episodes, not just ignoring it. Yay. Right. I mean, yeah, it's nice to see them. Cause I mean, obviously this is straight through from, you know, blessing way all the way. And it even carries through some of the stuff with the Talipus and the last two parter. So it's kind of nice that they are very directly connecting that. It's not just like, like spot. And it says it's all one cohesive story. It's not just like, one, you know, different conspiracies or whatever. So Crazy I think that's really good. Pants. Let's make a TV show that actually has a cohesive story that runs through yeah. it. That's crazy. Yeah, so I think it's a good episode. And, you know, again, I'm. it's hard for me to separate it from part two. So I think, to me, they're probably about the same. But, yeah. Okay. Well, it's easy for me because I haven't seen part two. Right, exactly. So I think I'm going to go with a seven. I could see you going with an eight because you actually gave Nisei an eight also. Actually, you gave Nisei and 731 both an eight. I went eight and seven on those. And we talked about how like that those two were definitely like this is a part one and this is a part two. This one also is a part one and part two. But like I think they're a little bit more like it's kind of a little, it could be a, like a standalone kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it could be. You yeah. do have like the ending where like Crycheck is. But I mean, that yeah. could just be dropped off. It could be a good then... season ender too. Yeah, good, oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. good season ender. But I'm going to go with a seven just because of some plot holy stuff going on, right? Like, how did this? Uh, but then also, like, all the coincidentally stuff that kind of. I like, mean, yeah, it's pretty lucky that the one guy that Scully knows on the base happens to have been yeah, on the submarine that was next also to when looking... she was a little girl, just happened to be the dude who was looking for it. And then wasn't also like an evil. Well, again, I don't know. Maybe he is going to turn out to be an evil dude and has got like black eyes. Don't know. But yeah, but it is so fiction. far. I will accept that a little. I will suspend my disbelief, but it is a pretty big coincidence. So yeah, that's it just fair starts going go, into mm. and I this is this is the one thing I hate about, which is probably why one reason I don't tend to watch like long form things like television a lot, because once they get to us, it's only three seasons in, 
but they start almost delving into like soap opera territory we have to connect all these things yes and it's just like oh come on like there are more people in the world like well and connect things and then just bring people back and like i don't know like i'm watching supernatural again and i forgot how many times castiel's like dead and then comes back and then one time he even has amnesia and i'm like this is such a soap opera it's such a soap opera it's ridiculous like like we're gonna have some evil i mean we probably will we're gonna have some evil twins probably show up oh god that is so funny are gonna be yeah i was gonna say it's funny that you say that because i'm pretty sure it's some there is some shape-shifting and then there's some you know alien body stealing so who knows who's who that's different than evil twins but it's like yeah it is a little different but yeah we had the Eve twins. They're evil twins. <laughs> well, I know, but I'm thinking like, you know, you get like, you know, know. like, oh, the good one the, and the evil your, one. Your evil yeah. twin is pretending to be someone's husband and oh, no. And just like total soap <laughs> opera, you know, baloney. Billy's so. evil twin is trying to seduce Mulder and Mulder's evil twin is trying to seduce Skinner. And yeah, <laughs> that's why that's why Kim is calling Scully because she's like, well, I thought you guys were a thing. I see you all the time hanging out with Skinner and smooching and so i figured i would call you and call you. it's like what are you talking about so, so yeah i was like what yeah <laughs> never what? heard that before yeah god i need to stop getting hit in the head i don't remember anything so yeah <laughs> i mean that's true of so many tv characters it's like oh yeah all but, those head injuries are gonna come catch up to you eventually yeah. we've been running pretty solid on some seven and eights lately i have to say we've had a pretty good yeah i feel like this season has yeah, been the really, war of the really cockroaches kind of broke that but i mean if you skip over that we yeah, we've been running a pretty good stretch of like ooh, like seven episodes yeah i mean the last eight it's all been like seven eight seven eight seven eight six seven kind of thing and then or the copper phages kind of messed it up a little bit but then mm-hmm. jump right back into it eight seven seven six seven eight so yeah wow Whew. man they're throwing off my averages on this you guys are making me look like i like this show all right i mean you like some of it <laughs> yep. i'm just pandering for listenership no i'm not trust me i'm not no, they definitely never does. <laughs> I mean, while I'm a huge fan, I still love this show so much. It makes me happy. Even when it's, I mean, even some of the bad episodes, I'm like, this is ridiculous, but okay. Okay, X-Files. We it's talked, okay, I forgive was you. Was that last time we talked about how like some, like, some of the really bad ones are ones I really like? So, like, I, this well, is a bad episode, but I, I like it. It's, what am I, like, yeah, no, I mean, it's fine. You can, that's the fun thing about TV is it does. I mean, there are shows that are ridiculous and I'm like, I love this thing. It's silly and absurd. And well, I'm that's in. a whole so, different level though. We, we, I think we did definitely talk about that where like you go over the top and do some crazy pants stuff. Like you will get me on board with that kind of stuff. Cause you just, like, I think X-Files you know is going to start going. We haven't gotten to Jose Chung's yet. So, I mean, I think it's going to get over the top and that's yeah. this season. We shall see. So. I am worried about that one. Yeah, I know, am too for you just because it's, it's Darren Morgan. Darren, but then again, like Clyde Bruckman is Darren Morgan too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so who I'm, knows? I'm, it might I definitely be. have trepidation coming to that episode. And I honestly don't remember very much about it. So, I really couldn't like even try to predict where you'll fall because I haven't seen it again and I don't remember like what it's about. So, we'll find out. Yeah. And we'll that'll be out. his last episode till like season 10. So, Ooh, crazy. Yeah. All righty. Well, join us next time, and we will talk about part two. Apocrypha. Apocrypha. I don't know why we're doing the thing that we talk about not needing to do because we made I know. We don't credits. need to. It's in the end credits. Just go to the credits. Anyway, we'll see you guys later. Just go to the credits. 
I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. That's right. We made this. And be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 16, Apocrypha. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still out there. there. Trust no one. The truth is what we make of it. That's white. That's white. <laughs> we are white, but we are yeah. kind of white. I'm more of an olive tint, but anyway. <laughs>